Hi, everyone. We are here, and we are ready to go. No Hope Radio. Thank you for joining me today. We're currently looking at Jesus' high priestly prayer. That's a good one. You know why? He can teach us how to pray, too. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, we come to an aspect of the prayer where he prays about spiritual warfare. Oh, that's a good one. You know why? Because we're all in it. You wake up in the morning, you're in spiritual warfare. You go out of the house, you're on the battlefield. You come back home, they're still fighting. Oh, yeah. So let's listen to this prayer and see how Jesus prays. What can we derive for our own lives? We're in John chapter 17 and verse 14. And we're like, okay, 14 verses into the prayer. All right. He said, and he's praying to the Father. And he said, I have given them your word. That's beautiful, isn't it? I've given them your word. And the world has hated them. That's why we need the word of God. Because the world's against us. So we need something that's for us, and that's God's Word. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. That is so good. It shows how one they are with the Lord. Anybody that's one with Jesus is not of the world. We're not even, like, welcomed in the world. We're going to see today... The wisdom of the word is contrary to the wisdom of the world. Because what makes the world so messy is its wisdom, which really isn't wisdom at all. So let's note the battlefield. Life on earth, that's the battlefield. Life on earth is like a battle. You know, the the bumper sticker says, "Ah, it's a beach, life's a beach. Well, not really. I think life is more like a battlefield. That's what Jesus said. It because it's a battle between two kingdoms. On one side is the kingdom of light. On the other side is the kingdom of darkness. And the difference between the kingdoms is the wisdom that they ascribe to. That's the biggest problem. The wisdom. It's completely contrary, different ways of thinking, different ways of looking at life. So we're going to take a look at the contrast between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world, because that's the basis of our spiritual warfare. Number one, they're contrary to one another. Now we're going to go back to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 5, that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. See, the wisdom of men is what? Human wisdom. It's the wisdom of the world. That wisdom, oh, here it comes, can never find out God. It can't. That wisdom cannot find out God. Can't do it. Human wisdom always falls short. So that's why people that are engrossed in the wisdom of the world, they can never be saved. They can't. Oh, they can be religious, and they can even be nice. 
But they'll never find Christ, not through that wisdom, because it's too logical. Finding Jesus isn't about logic, it's about faith. That's the difference. Secondly, worldly wisdom makes war with the Lord. Oh yeah, 1 Corinthians 2.8, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. Because if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Man, ain't that the truth? I mean, would anyone in their right mind actually crucify the Son of God? Really? He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Great Physician, the Redeemer. The people that crucified Christ, they were not in their right mind. You know why? Wisdom of the world. Some were religious, some were not religious. Some were pagan, some worshipped many, many gods. That is all the wisdom of the world. And that's what killed Jesus. Thirdly, worldly wisdom, (laughs) I like this, but is no match for God. It's not. God's wisdom, it's a lot higher. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.19, the wisdom of this world, right, is foolishness before God. (laughs) It's true. God looks down and says, oh, those foolish people. Oh, no. They got it all wrong. They do. The wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, it's going to quote the Old Testament, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. Now, where did Paul get that? He got it from Job. Job said that in chapter 5, verse 13 of his little book. Paul's quoting him. So what does it mean that the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God? Foolishness means silliness, absurdity. It's absurd. When something's absurd, it's, it's like it doesn't get it done. It doesn't cut it. It doesn't. And, okay, look at the wisdom of the world today. How are we doing? Not too good. We do have wars and rumors of wars, don't we? We do have corruption. Why Why do nations struggle with poverty? You know why? Corruption. Government corruption. That's why. It's the wisdom of the world. And it's absurd. And it doesn't cut it. The wisdom of the world makes life all about me and does not consider others. Perhaps this is why God is so patient. He knows that the wisdom of men will come to nothing. He knows that. And he's like watching it happen. God's not in a hurry. We're in a hurry all the time. He's not in a hurry. But he's in eternity. Why, why, why does he have to hurry? He's eternal. Fourthly, the end result of this warfare Again, we're in the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians one nineteen. Paul said, for it is written, another Old Testament quote, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Now he's quoting Isaiah. Isaiah said that, 29.14. So you see, in this prayer that Jesus prayed about the world, and how the people of God and his disciples are not welcome in the world. It's because of the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world, oh, here it comes, despises God. It does. Why does anybody despise God? Because they're thinking with the wisdom of the world. That's all. 
Are they evil people? Maybe not. But they're thinking with the wisdom of the world. And that's the problem. Fifthly, worldly wisdom, here it comes, oh, there's another one, ends in humiliation. Yeah. It doesn't end good. In 1 Corinthians one twenty, Paul said, I like this, it's like, where, where is the wise man? I don't see any. Where is he? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Where are all these smart people? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? He's like, will you smart people in the world, please stand up so I can see you. I want to see who you are. It's like, nobody's getting up. <laughs> no one's up. Where are they? They're not, they're not anywhere. And because of this, he said in verse 14, the world has hated them. This is back in the prayer. Because of the wisdom of the world, it hates the people of God. Because the people of God are not of the world, Jesus said, even as I am not of the world. So think about it. If you're despised as a Christian, you're in good company. Because you're with Jesus. They despised him. He wasn't of the world. And neither were you. So when the Bible says, and it's a strong word, the world has hated them, it's the word meseo, and it means to detest, to detest them. It also means sometimes to persecute them. And that's what it does, doesn't it? Didn't it do that to the disciples? Didn't it do that to the early church? Doesn't it do that today? Today, Christians are persecuted in China, in the Middle East, in Northern Africa. Oh, there are so many places. They're detested and they're persecuted, even in America. Our own government detests Christians. Think about that. Phew! What a world we live in, isn't it? The world, the system of the world, the cosmic system, hates God. We better get used to it. You better get used to it right now, because it ain't changing until Jesus comes back. One writer said, How terrible is the perversion of human nature. And then he explains why. Men despise that which they should esteem. And they endeavor to destroy that without which they must be destroyed themselves. What's he saying? He's saying that they destroy what they need to survive. The things that we should value and hold up, men destroy them. And the things that we destroy, men value them. The things that should be destroyed, they're valued. It's an upside-down world because, you see, if the world is of the cosmic system, which is of Satan, well, Satan doesn't like people. Satan hates God. He hates Jesus. He hates the church. He hates Christians. He, hates, he what is What is his mission? Steal, kill, and destroy. That's it. Steal, kill, and destroy. What's Jesus' mission? Seek and save the lost. You see the difference? You see the contrast? And both kingdoms use people. Oh, Satan will use people to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus will use people to seek and save the lost. Hope you're on the right team. You don't want to destroy that which you need to survive. Now, the disciples were very much like Jesus when it came to the things of the world. Because Jesus said, they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Remember these 
When he called these people, he called men that were fishermen, and you know what they did? They left their nets to follow Jesus. He called the tax collector, and he left his tax booth to follow Jesus. So here's what it means to follow Christ. Stepping out of the norm, leaving the old behind. That's what you do. See, you don't want to try to follow Christ and yet keep your feet in the world. That's no good. You know what that's called? A tug of war. Oh, you don't win. You get ripped in half. You'd be in two pieces. You got to make a choice. Which one do you want? Which kingdom do you want to serve? You got to serve somebody, Bob Dylan said. Which kingdom you want to serve? The kingdom of darkness? The kingdom of light? You want to be in the world? You want to be in God's kingdom? Jesus said in his prayer in verse 15, I do not ask you, Father, to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Wow. See, this prayer does not request the disciples be removed from planet Earth. Jesus isn't praying that. He's not saying, listen, God, take them home. Get them out of this mess. No. He's not praying that they would be secluded from the world. No, he's praying that they would remain in the world, but that they would be fruitful and preserved from the influence of the evil one. See, God leaves us all in the world after we're saved. I mean, it'd be nice if we got saved and then went to heaven. But that wouldn't work, would it? Because who would fulfill the Great Commission? Who would do that? Who would spread the good news? Jesus died for the sins of the world. Those that believe on him would never perish, but have everlasting life. Who would do that? If the moment we got saved, boom, we went up. So the prayer is, God, I'm not asking take them out. I'm just asking you to preserve them while they're in. That's all. So God intentionally leaves Christ's followers on the earth to carry out his divine purposes. It's so important that we do that and make sure that we have our head on straight and we are living that way, carrying out the divine purposes of God. Okay. In verse 16, Jesus prays about the discomfort of being in the world as a Christian. He says, they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So what he's saying is, they're not going to fit in. I didn't fit in. They're not going to fit in. Jesus' mission is one of the dominant themes of the gospel, and it's given as a pattern for his followers. Okay, let's remember that. His ministry is a pattern for us. Now, we may long for heaven, but it's on the earth that our work is done. Let's remember that. When we go home to heaven, then we can rest. Then we can get our rewards. We can enjoy the marriage of the Lamb. But while we're here, oh, the world needs us. It really does. The darkness of the world needs the lights of Christ. So he's literally saying, Grant that these disciples may not enter the domain of Satan, for they definitely do not belong to his domain. They are yours and mine. They do not belong to the wicked one. That's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? Jesus is praying not only for them, for us, because he's our advocate right now in heaven, and he prays for us 
Oh, and he wants us. He prays. We'd be faithful. We'd be strong. We'd stand firm. You can do that. He knows life is difficult for you. He knows there's some real trials and tribulations in every aspect of your life. Oh, he knows it. There's financial strains, relational problems. There's there's all kinds of emotional things that we struggle with. But Jesus prays and he prays, Father, keep them from the evil one. Keep them from negative thoughts, from demonic thoughts. Help them to stand strong and firm and be the lights in the world. That's his prayer. He's praying. So this battle, this battle consists of some things that we're in. It consists of, number one, not becoming a prisoner. No, you want to be free. Don't become a prisoner of your fears. Don't become a prisoner of the crowd. Don't become a prisoner of Satan. No, you want to be free in Christ. Number two, not becoming a casualty. A casualty is someone that has taken themselves out of the battle. Don't do that. Even if you're wounded, you stay in there and fight. It consists of not becoming a coward. Cowards get shot in the back. That's what they do. They run away and they get shot in the back. What's the point? It's not worth it. So Jesus is praying. Oh, he's on our side. In verse 17, he said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Oh, you see how important the word of God is? The word sanctify is the word hagiadzo. Sometimes it's translated to make holy or to consecrate or to separate. And what's he praying? That we would be separated from the world to God. And how does that happen? Through truth. See, that's where we learn. That's where we get our marching orders. How do you know what to do in the battle? Well, the soldiers listen to the general or the captain or the lieutenant. We listen to the Word of God. The Word of God gives us our marching orders, and it shows us and directs us what to do. For, fa- for sanctification to be complete, it must be in truth. If we're really going to be set apart for God, it's got to be by truth. You know why? Truth goes into the heart, the mind, the soul, and then it works itself out through the life. That's how it works. See, knowledge just goes into the head. Truth goes into the heart and the soul. And then it manifests itself in the way we live. Without truth, the work of sanctification is totally impossible. We can never be set apart for God. We can never come out of the cosmic system and live as soldiers for Christ. You can't do it. Not without truth. So, we've got to love the Word in order to be sanctified by it. Now, you might say, oh, I love the Word, but let's think about that for a minute. I must love the Word in order to be sanctified by have a hunger for the Word. Hunger and thirst for the Word of God. That you get excited when there's an opportunity to learn it. You get excited when it's time to go to church. David said, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. I think that was Psalm 122. Yeah, I was glad when they said, it's time for church. Let's go. 
You've got to love the Word of God. Ask yourself, do I love the Word of God? Do I love it? I like it. Do I love it? That's the thing. You you give your life to what you love. What you like, uh, you know, you can be fair weather with it. I like ice cream, but I can live without it. But what you love, you can't live without what you love. You don't want to live without what you love. So now that we understand truth, sanctification, the value of the word of God, enter the battlefield. Verse 18, Jesus is praying and he said, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. That word world is cosmos. We call it the cosmic system, Satan's system. It's where we get our word cosmetics. What do you do with cosmetics lately? You arrange your face, right? You make your face very pretty, right? Well, the cosmic system is Satan's arrangement of the world. He has arranged the world the way it is apart from the wisdom of God. So Jesus said, I sent my disciples into that system. The word sent is the word apostello. It's where we get the word apostle. Apostle is simply one sent. That's all. doesn't mean he's got magical powers. He's one sent. An apostle is one sent out by God, just as the Father sent Jesus into the world with a message. So Jesus sends the disciples into the world with a message. The message of redemption. Oh, that's a good message. And then Jesus prayed, For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Man, it seems like if you're going to have any impact in the battle, you've got to be sanctified. you got to be set apart by God. This time, sanctification is used to denote separated to death, devoted to death. Jesus saying he came, he was devoted, separated to die. I sanctify myself. He knew what he came to do. And he wants his followers to have that same mentality. Think about it. Think about having that same mentality. Sanctified for the purpose of Christ. And if you die, you die. Sanctified for a higher good, a greater good. Because that's how he purchased us. That's how he bought our salvation. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.11, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the great and more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. What does that mean? It means that when Jesus died on the cross, he ascended into heaven. And he went into God's holy of holies. And the war was won. The war is won, but some battles remain. The war is won, that's good. If you're a Christian, you're on the winning side. But some battles still remain. So, let's take this part of the prayer. And let's make a personal application. Okay? 
This prayer is a beautiful prayer in John 17. Sit and read it a few times. And here's the application that I can derive from this. My love for the Word of God is the basis for my sanctification. See, I can't be separated from the world to God without His Word. Because it it teaches me. It does it for me. Then, as I grow in the wisdom of the Word, I will find myself fighting the wisdom of this world. See, sanctification brings me out of the cosmic system. It puts me in the right army with the right troops. And then I make a U-turn and I go back into the world, but this time to fight the world. I came out of, I was once a member of the world. God pulled me out at salvation. Then he turned me around. He sanctified me <laughs> and he sent me back in. Now he's like, go get him. <laughs> and that's what he's done. And what we don't want to be is turncoats. No, we don't want that. We don't want to be turncoats. We need to stay faithful to the God who saved us, sanctified us, and sent us back. Because that's what he did. Think about it. He saved us, he sanctified us, and he sent us back. So let me ask you, how are you doing in the world? I know you're in the world, but are you of the world? Which army are you living for? Which one are you fighting for? I mean, Jesus did all the work so he could equip us and prepare us and send us in. By the way, remember, this is his prayer. You know, a prayer is that which comes from the heart, right? A prayer is something that's really important. And Jesus is praying about this. He's praying about our sanctification. He's praying about the spiritual battle that we are all in, that we would be victorious in this battle. You know, the world is a dangerous place spiritually. And I'm so glad Jesus is praying for us because he knows it's dangerous. He's praying for you. He's on your side. No weapon formed you will prosper because you're on the right army. Just stay faithful. Keep your eyes on the Lord and remember who you are and what God made you to be and who Christ is and why you're here. That's the focus. It's the wisdom of God. Live in the wisdom of God and things will work out just fine.